The scripture reading today is from Luke, Luke 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they had not child. Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Today uh, marks the first day of Advent, which is the four-week season leading up to Christmas. Uh, what Christians celebrate at Advent is the coming, the coming of the Lord. And therefore, we're a people uh, in waiting. Uh, we're, we're a people that's filled with anticipation at the idea that someone is coming who promises to transform our lives and all of the universe. 
And therefore, for the next four weeks, uh, we're going to consider what it looks like to prepare ourselves for his arrival, uh, as well as uh, what it looks like to experience joy and peace, uh, the kind of which only he promises. Uh, but today, we're going to consider uh, something else. We're going to consider our longing, and we're going to consider our hope. And we're going to do that by looking at the life of John the Baptist. Uh, you might say that Jesus, of course, is the central figure of Christmas, but if he's the central figure of Christmas, and he is, then it, it's right to say that John the Baptist is the central figure of Advent, because his life, more so than any other, prepares us for the coming of the Lord. And the story of Zechariah and the story of Elizabeth, who are John the Baptist's parents, they are a couple, as we're about to see, whose lives were marked by a, what, I'll, what, what I'll call a priestly mediation. Um, and because they were mediators, because they were priestly mediators, they stand, you might say, between us and Christmas. Uh, their story helps us understand our need, our need for Christmas. Why? Well, because theirs is a story of longing. And so what can we learn? Well, I think we learn three things. Uh, we learn when it comes to longing that no one's immune. We also learn that when it comes to hope that no heart is actually ready. And then thirdly, when it comes to good news, it's always heard as an answer to a prayer. So when it comes to longing, no one is immune. When it comes to hope, no heart is ever ready. And when it comes to good news, it's always heard first as an answered prayer. So first, when it comes to longing, no one is immune. And we see this in verses one through seven. Everyone longs for something more. Uh, the story here begins with, with two people, doesn't it? Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah was a priest. Uh, he comes from a great line of priests. And Elizabeth, his wife, she, she came from a great line of priests too. She could trace her lineage all the way back to the very first priest who was Aaron, and Aaron, of course, was the brother of Moses. So these were this was an amazing couple. They were what you might call a remnant of Israel's most faithful generations. Uh, if you look at verse 2, it says there something astounding. It says that they observed and kept the laws and commands of God, and because they did these things with all the right uh, motivations, you might say, with all the right reasons, they were righteous in the eyes of God. And of course, what that means is that they weren't perfect, but what it meant is that they were always, maybe the way to say it is, uh, they weren't marked by perfection. They were marked by faith in the right direction. So they were considered blameless in the eyes of God. But, but then we have there uh, <laughs> the big uh, conundrum, you might say. Uh, after saying that they were blameless, that they led this, this wonderful life of faith, you have this tremendous but. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. And to understand this, you need to understand that there is probably no greater, um, uh, there's no greater image of a broken world than that of a barren woman, particularly in ancient cultures. In times past, there was no greater cause for concern uh, than a woman or a couple that couldn't conceive. 
Uh, kids had always been, uh, excuse me, kids have always, of course, been loved by their parents, but in ancient cultures and traditional cultures, there was even a greater significance because kids were, of course, the retirement plan. They were the retirement plan not only for the parents, but they were the retirement plan for the community. And so you can imagine that the pressure uh, that Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, faced, uh, the pressure that they experienced, not only that they put on themselves, but the kind of pressure that they uh, experienced externally within the community, as you see in verse 25, was just simply tremendous. Uh, so before God, they were blameless. But before the community, they were known as barren. And here's what we need to see. When it comes to longing, no one is immune. Even those who are righteous in the eyes of God, they long for lives that are more complete than the ones they actually have. Which means that in some area of your life, you, you may feel barren. And if that is true of you, then you've come to the right place. This is a community of people that know what it feels like uh, to long. We're all on this journey together. That means Advent is for everyone because when it comes to longing, no one is immune. Advent is for everyone and everyone needs Christmas. And so Christian, let me just simply ask, how aware of you, how aware are you of your longing? How aware are you um, that once we move past Thanksgiving, that we tend to simply race right to songs like Joy to the World, instead of spending time having singing, uh, singing songs like the ones we're singing today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. You know, last week we had a guest, a great guest, Cedric Johnson. He came and he talked to us about grief and how important it is to grieve, and that if we can't grieve, we can't heal. Well, in a similar way, if we skip over Advent, if we skip over this, then we skip over a part of the process and we minimize the meaning of the coming of the Lord. And, and invariably, when we do that, we have a much uh, we have a much more shallow experience of Christmas. You know, I heard an illustration not too long ago of, a, of an orphanage that was full of, of really sick children. It was an orphanage of sickly kids. And it was a Christian orphanage, and they were taught uh, each and every day that they had a father, they had a, a heavenly father that was going to come and heal them. And he wasn't just going to heal them uh, physically, but he was going to heal them emotionally and spiritually. He was going to heal them in every way, and he was going to bring them home with him one day. And because of that, the maintenance worker said he had to do double duty on the windows. And what he meant by that was that every day he had to clean the windows because there were smudges, right, from, from hands and faces of these children looking out the window, waiting for their father to come. And friends, insofar as you are waiting on the Lord, that's a picture of us. That's a picture of us waiting for our Heavenly Father to come and to heal us, not just physically, not just emotionally, but spiritually too, and to take us home. Advent is, a, is about uh, waiting on the Lord. And when it comes to the longings of our lives, nobody is immune. We're all on this journey together. And of course, that's really challenging for us, isn't it? You know, uh, it's challenging for those of us who don't profess faith in Christ. 
you might say. And the reason for that is because many of us, we start coming around church, we start maybe praying, we start, we start having conversations around Jesus simply because we're going through a difficult time. And I understand that so well. Uh, those kinds of conversations, these kinds of experiences are incredibly comforting. And so we come around and maybe we're just trying to get through a pandemic or maybe we're just trying to, to get through a season in our lives. And then for me to tell you <laughs> that Christians long too, that Christians will always be longing, that the people of God have always longed and that in some way will never go away could be incredibly discouraging for you. And you might say, well, what's the difference? What's the point? Why am I even here? And let me just say, when Christians long, take comfort because our longing is not void of reason. Our longing is not void of reason. Um, it means that longing has a, is, longing is reasonable within the Christian worldview. Longing makes intellectual and emotional sense. We understand within the narrative of, of the scriptures and with the story of our lives and and what I think is the best description of the human experience is, is that the world is simply not the way it's supposed to be. And to use the, the imagery of Christmas, we're, we're misfit toys in a land of misfit toys. And we're longing for the day where our creator will come back and he will mend our wounds. He'll mend our brokenness. See, it's not unreasonable to think that in a fallen world that we might be unfulfilled, that we might be dissatisfied, but we live with hope and a promise that one day our Heavenly Father will come and He will satisfy us, truly. So Zechariah doesn't long without reason. Elizabeth doesn't long without reason, but Zechariah also knows, and Elizabeth also knows, that they do not long alone. And we know that because His prayer, their prayer, is answered. <clears throat> but when it comes to hope, when it comes to answered prayers, when it comes to hope, we need to remember that no heart is actually really ready to receive it. And we see that here with this man of faith, Zechariah. So the day that uh, Zechariah goes to the temple, this is no ordinary day. Uh, this is no ordinary day in, in the worship life of Israel as they go to the temple. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, within the temple life of Israel, there were about 20,000 priests. And they're all serving around the same time. And it was by chance we read here that Zechariah's division, Zechariah's cohort, you might say, his crew of priests were tapped. They were selected to, uh, to lead through this holy, uh, this holy uh, liturgy. And so they were asked to, to, to uh, pray and to stand as mediators before God. So what they were being tasked to do was a high honor. And on that day, Zechariah had the highest of honors because Zechariah was, was being tasked to pray and to light incense. And of course, incense was a symbol in which uh, as, the, as the smoke goes up into the, into, the, into, the, uh, into the heavens, so too do our prayers. And so this was an incredible honor for Zechariah. He was an old man, and it is safe to say that he'd never had this honor before. And he was never going to have this honor again. So this was a precious experience for Zechariah. But with all the pomp, with all the circumstance, with all the smells and bells, that day when Zechariah went into the temple, 
the last thing that he expected to see was the angel of the Lord. The irony. But he did. And because what stood before him was a heavenly being, it is right, and we can sympathize with him, that he <laughs> was utterly terrified, that he was gripped with fear. And yet, though he's a person who longs, though he's a person whose life is uh, bound up with temple worship, though he is a person who has a hope-filled life, the reality is that his heart wasn't ready to receive the hope that was being sought. His heart wasn't ready to receive the hope that was being declared. And we know that because while he never questions his own eyesight, he does question the words of the Lord. He does question the good news that Gabriel brings. And in a gentle rebuke, what happens? He's silenced. He's silenced for the rest of the pregnancy. And while there are a lot of questions around that, and I'm sure we'll talk about those questions at coffee hour, um, the question maybe that we need to be asking is, why is his heart not prepared for the hope that he actually is seeking? And the reality of it is, it's because his heart is barren because his heart is barren. Now, many of you know that uh, uh, on a pretty week, on a weekly basis, I'll meet with a couple of men whose life has been derailed by the loss of a pregnancy. And uh, I tend to come upon them or I, you know, I, I meet with them uh, usually months, sometimes years after the fact, after they've lost a child. And uh, only now are they, you know, they've come to a place where they're actually able to reach out for, for help and to talk with somebody. And I share that to say, well, pregnancy is, is uniquely a woman's experience. It isn't only a woman's experience. Uh, and therefore, I think it's highly probable. And in fact, it's, it's quite likely that the barrenness of Elizabeth doesn't just touch on her pregnancy, but it leaves cracks, you might say, in every area of their lives, both physically, emotionally, spiritually too. Despite what Zechariah sees, despite what, his, what he experiences, there is an instant unbelief that simply won't accept what is being said, that won't embrace what is being declared by, by the angel that's before him. And so for Nehemiah, I think it's safe to say that there's an infertility to his faith. There's an infertility to his faith in which hope cannot grow. And so he shows up for church and he experiences God and he hears good news, but his initial response to it is, but I'm too old, this can't be. And that's pretty helpful for us because there's always something for each and every one of us that we can fill in the blank that prohibits us from actually receiving the hope that we actually have come to hear. There's something in our lives that actually prohibits us from allowing the hope to grow. And the question for all of us is what is that particular thing? What is that particular quality, that particular attribute that when God says to you, I've heard your prayer, what is the adjective in your life that prohibits hope from growing, that reveals the dryness, the crack, 
scorched earth, the barrenness of your faith. Perhaps it's because you're old or perhaps it's because you're young or perhaps because it's, you're straight or you're gay or perhaps it's because uh, your life is just getting started and you feel like you're doing so well or perhaps it's because you're retired and you're just trying to get yourself settled or maybe it's because you have kids and your life is so busy or maybe it's because like Elizabeth and Zechariah, you've been waiting on a prayer and now you're too hurt and you're too skeptical to hear. Friends, it's easy. It's probably easier now than ever to come to church. It's pretty easy to come to Storefront Church and to see the faces of the people that are here. And sometimes for me, I can, I'll simply say it, it's a picture of heaven um, to be here with each and every one of us. And yet we too can walk away not having experienced or not having responded to the word. And if that's true of you, you need to know that you're not alone. That's something we all struggle with. It's something that the people of God have always struggled with. And that's why in Psalm 1, uh, the psalmist says, blessed is the person who's like a tree who's planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do, they prosper. See, their life is, is not barren. It's lush. It's full. It's, it's, uh, the soil is ready to bloom. But not so the chaff, the psalmist says. The chaff are like the wicked. They simply just are blown away. And what enriches the soil of the heart is the word of God. When, the, when the, the, you might say the roots of our heart are dug down deep into the rich, fertile soil of faith, fertile soil of, of the word of God, then our, our faith will be fertile too. And so the first two points is that when it comes to longing, no one is immune. But when it comes to hope, no heart is actually ready. And therefore, we need to always be looking to prepare our, our hearts to allow our hearts to be able to receive the word of God, to recognize that there are things in our life that actually prohibit us from hearing the word, the word that we desperately want, the word that we, we actually crave, the word that actually brings life. But we're always in a place that's either justified or not justified that keeps us from actually receiving it. And then lastly, we just need to know that when it, when it comes to good news, it's always revealed as an answer to prayer. And that makes sense, right? When we hear good news, it's like a drink of cold water. It's, it's as if we've heard something that we've needed to hear for quite some time. It's good news. It's good reality. It's a good fact. It's a good truth. And that speaks to the soul. So, see, Gabriel says that uh, Zachariah's prayer has been heard, but the question, which uh, the question, of course, is which prayer did Gabriel, or excuse me, which prayer did did God hear? So, this is a great question because you know Zechariah is now a sage; he's now older in years, 
And his job is to go uh, into the temple and to pray the needs of, the, of, of not just his own family at his own home, but to pray the needs of Israel. And so the question is, is on this day, was Zechariah praying for the hopes of the nation or was he praying for the hopes of his family? And the answer, is, of course, is yes. He, God has heard the prayers of Zechariah. He's heard the prayers of Zechariah the sage, who's praying for the hopes of Israel. And he's heard the prayer of Zechariah the young man, longing for a son. And he is saying, I have answered both. I've heard both. And I'm answering both. And so he takes up the best themes, you might say, of both of those prayers, and he answers them in his own way, which is always the better way, which is part of God's redemptive plan. God answers our prayers, but he answers them in his own way. And that's always the better way. And that's the good news, because God's plans are always better than our plans. And every person that's been brought into the reality will attest to just that fact. So I'll ask you, as we meditate on this passage and as we consider our longings over the next few weeks, what are the prayers that you've forgotten? The good news is that God has not forgotten those prayers. And I don't want to make false promises that he's going to answer them according to your, your specificity. But you can know insofar as Jesus has been raised from the dead. You can know that God has heard them and that he's answering them in his own way. And what are the prayers that you're praying now? They don't have to be perfect. But you can know that however imperfect they are, the good news is that God is still in the business of answering prayers. And he's still in the business of making them come true. But he's in the business of making them come true in ways that are better than you and I could have ever prayed for. And you can know that is true because the good news of Jesus. You know, Christmas means that God doesn't just send a messenger he doesn't just send an emissary into the world, but God comes himself. And he doesn't come as some radiant, glorious being who frightens us at his appearance, but he comes as a child that you and I can know, you, can, you and I can touch. And yeah, that may be frightening too, uh, but he comes as a child, having been first prepared to come into the, this world through the promise of a child. And that, of course, is, is John the Baptist. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth waited for the first coming of the Lord. But because of Christmas, because of the historical reality that our prayers have been answered in the historical reality of the incarnation, you and I don't live as those who are waiting for the first advent. No. Christians live in light of the second advent. We live longing, waiting for this same Jesus to come. The same Jesus that Gabriel set, stands proudly and says, I stand in the presence of the Lord. This same Jesus is going to come again. And that's a pretty compelling reality that the God who answers prayers continues to answer them, not just from afar, but he comes in close. And over the next few weeks, we're going to consider our longings. We're going to consider our hopes. We're going to consider what it looks like to really 
prepare our hearts, our minds, our lives for the second coming of Christ. And we're going to imagine the joy of being in the presence of the Lord and the, in the peace that is promised with the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, beautiful Son, faithful Spirit, behind all the things that we long for, we long for you. We long for you. Zachariah and Elizabeth were faithful. They wanted a son so that they would be blessed. But Lord, you gave them a son who was better than their prayers. You gave them a son that not only blessed them, but blessed the world. And yes, they wouldn't get to name him. And no, they wouldn't get to even probably see his ministry, but the child they prayed for prepared the way for barren hearts all throughout human history so that they would be revived. So that when the prayers of, of the nation uh, were wafted up into heaven, that they didn't just come down again in vapor, but they came down in flesh. Lord, would you help us recognize those obstacles for us that keep us from receiving this truth, that keep us from receiving the historical reality of the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Meet us in our longing, Lord God. We pray this in his name. Amen.